Good morning and welcome to another episode of Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright with live this Monday morning, October 16th. It is very good to be with you today as always. Let's pray and then I'll tell you what's going on on today's show. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today on the show, we are going to hear about evil. And, uh, you know, it's no coincidence that the Feast of Halloween is coming up, All Hallows' Eve, where we get ready to celebrate not ghouls and goblins, but the saints. It's All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Eve. And yet we live in a culture that has distorted it to be all about the ghouls and the goblins and whatnot. And so we're going to hear from uh, Monsignor Morris, a homily on how evil is real. And then we're going to talk with Father Vincent Lampert, an exorcist from the Diocese of Indianapolis, Archdiocese of Indianapolis, who is also teaching a new course through the Amadeus Academy at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. We'll hear about that as well. So that's all ahead on the show today. Uh, one thing that is not evil, and that's for sure, is Mike Roberts' weather forecast. We love Mike, and uh, he does such a great job bringing us the weather and the saint of the day. We're, we're nothing but grateful for that. So let's, uh, before we get into the evil <laughs> discussions today, let's go to the pleasant. Let's go to Mike Roberts. Today is the feast day of St. Gerard Magella and St. Margaret Mary Alico. St. Gerard Magella was the youngest of five children. After his father died when he was 12, his mother sent him to work with his uncle who was a tailor. He split the money he earned between his mother and the poor, leaving little for himself and offering his fasting up while making trips to a nearby church. Gerard tried joining the Capuchins, but his selflessness had left him so weak they wouldn't take him. Eventually, he was accepted by the Congregation of the Most Holy Redeemer, where he became a professed lay brother. Gerard remained dedicated to the poor and continued his life of fasting, but soon it became clear that he had many great spiritual gifts. He could read souls. Occasionally, he would levitate, even bilocate. Shortly before he died, he dropped a handkerchief which was retrieved and returned by a young lady. Gerard told her to keep it in case she needed it one day. Years after his death, when she was pregnant and about to lose her baby, she laid the handkerchief over her womb and the baby was saved. St. Margaret Mary Alico was born in 1647 and struggled with her health as a child. When she was in her mid-twenties and considering marriage, she chose instead to join the Order of the Visitation Nuns. Three years later in 1674, Margaret Mary began to receive revelations from Jesus, who wanted her to make known to mankind his love for them. For the next 13 months, Jesus appeared to Mary Margaret, asking that the symbol of his love be his sacred heart. To honor Jesus, she received Holy Communion as often as possible, especially on First Fridays, and spent an hour every Thursday night in adoration in honor of the agony of Jesus at Gethsemane. She paid dearly for these revelations with her contemporaries doubting and chastising her. 
Only when St. Claude de la Colombière became her confessor was any credence given to her journey with Jesus. She died at the age of just 43 with her last words being, I need nothing but God and to lose myself in the heart of Jesus. St. Gerard Magella and St. Margaret Mary Alico, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed Friday. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Memorare to St. Joseph. Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who implored your help and sought your intercession were left unaided. Full of confidence in your power, I fly unto you and beg your protection. Despise not, O guardian of the Redeemer, my humble supplication, but in your bounty, hear and answer me. Amen. It's that time of year that more and more as I drive through the neighborhood, I am seeing skeletons and ghouls and goblins and all of those decorations going up. And I remember having a conversation with one of my daughters a few weeks ago when we were saying, all right, what's everyone going to be for Halloween? And we have, you know, one kid that's going to be a traffic cone and one kid who has decided to be a baseball player. Uh, one said, I want to be a witch. And I said, no. And she said, why not? I said, we'll talk about that later. Well, I can think of no one better to talk about such things with this morning than Father Vincent Lampert, pastor of St. Michael and St. Peter Parishes in Brookville, Indiana, who is also the exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis and has a new course on the Emmaus Academy through the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology on the occult, on the demonic exorcism, all of these things that, you know, sometimes we either don't talk about it, the world doesn't take it seriously, but you better believe, friends, it's serious and we need to know about it. Father Lampert, thank you so much for being with us on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. Yes, it's great to be with you. Well, I want to start with this. In, in the video preview that you can watch for your new series through the St. Paul Center, you begin with four questions, four very direct questions. Who is the devil? What is his origin? What is his purpose? And what is his desire? Yes, I think they're very, very good questions to be asked today, because as you just mentioned in that introduction about Halloween, I think there's a lot of people today that have this fascination with evil and witchcraft and magic and all of that, and may not realize that the power behind all of that is really the power of the devil. And the more that we understand the devil and what he's capable of doing, then it allows us to really know what we need to do in our own spiritual lives to grow in holiness and virtue. Well, let's start with that question then, because, you know, Father, our listeners know we have this joke that in my house we have what we call the Wright Institute for Theological Discourse a.k.a. the dining room table, where the kids are asking all sorts of questions. And, you know, one of the questions comes up, well, did the devil ever love God? And, and if he's a fallen angel, do, does God love him? And, and who is the devil? And does he have a name? And we've heard all these different things. So let's start there with that first question. You know, when we talk about the devil, who are we talking about? What are we talking about? The Catholic Church has always taught that evil is personified, that evil is not just humanity's inhumane treatment of one another, in other words, something of our own making, but evil is the reality. It's personified in the devil and these other fallen angelic creatures. If there's a reference in the book of Revelation where it says that 
the tail of the dragon, you know, swept one-third of the stars out of the sky, and that's also a reference to the angelic creatures. So Lucifer is, was believed to be the greatest of all the angelic creatures, closest to the throne of God. God created angels, and he gave them a great intellect, and he also gave them free will. And then after their creation and being infused with knowledge, God says to the angels, will you take your knowledge that I have given you and now complete your creations by turning to me? In other words, uniting their free will with the will of God. And Lucifer said no. And then his decision kind of reverberated through the entire angelic choir, and then one-third of the angels fell from heaven along with him. They were cast down to the earth. Wow. I mean, it's something that maybe for many of us, our first experience of thinking of who is the devil, we think of the passage in Genesis. But this really, if I understand you correctly, Father, this predates that in terms of the timeline of creation. Um, mm-hmm. It was St. Augustine who asked the question, when were the angelic creatures created? And he said that it could be discerned there in the very beginning of Genesis, where God says, let there be light. And the question is, what was that light on the first day? because the sun, the moon, and the stars were not created until the third day. So what is this light? And then he believed that it was angelic creation, because God said, let there be light, and it was good, but then immediately the light was separated into day and darkness, but the separation was not called good. So he sees that as the creation of the angelic order, and then the separation between the good and the fallen angels. Because, again, that separation is not called good. Now, we know from our study of our faith that there are the choirs of angels, the nine choirs of angels, and what you're saying is that of the angels that were created, Lucifer is the highest order. He's, he's right there at the top, and he's the one that says, no, I, I don't want to use my free will to complete my creation by aligning my will with the will of God. So... Um, I think that's very important that you've mentioned that, because when we talk about all of these things, especially those in the culture that would write off, oh, there's, you know, that, that's just a bunch of, uh, of nonsense. There's, there's no power here. It's I know my place, Father, and if it were me versus an angel, even the lowest of the angels, I know I, I am at a severe <laughs> handicap here. I, I'm going to choose not to step into that arena, not to step into that boxing ring. And, and you're saying that when we're going against the devil or the devil's going against us, not only are we going against the, the the fighter we have no chance against on our own, we're going against the best of the best of those fighters. Absolutely, because the belief is that Lucifer, before the fall, was the greatest of the, of the angels, the seraphim, which means the fiery ones, and they're the ones closest to the throne of God. And Lucifer being closest to the throne of God, he would radiate the glory of God more than any other angelic creature. And so when he chose to rebel we could say, and being cast down to the earth, his, his light kind of went out, because Lucifer means light-bearer. So when we think of the devil today, he's associated with darkness. You know, I had the opportunity when I trained to be an exorcist. I, w- I was in Rome in 2006 for three months, and there was a Franciscan priest who trained me, and I remember asking him, what was the most difficult case of exorcism that you ever had? And he said he worked with somebody, and the demon was being very defiant in naming itself. And so the priest says to the demon, is your name Lucifer? And he said the demon responded, I used to be known by that name, but no longer. And he told me that he realized at that moment that 
the devil can no longer acknowledge the name of Lucifer, because that's who he was before the fall. And to acknowledge the name Lucifer would be to acknowledge the giver of the name, namely God himself. But we know that the devil now has completely rejected God. Wow. Now, that's important that you bring up your training as an exorcist, because, again, going back to those who say, oh, you know, it's, it's harmless for the kids to play with the Ouija board, or I don't get why you overreact uh, so much whenever the, the, the local coffee shop has the tarot card readings or the crystals. Father, you've seen firsthand when we ask that question, what is the purpose of the devil and what is his desire? You've seen him try, and, and the other demons trying to work that out among God's creatures known as man, you and I, and, and our fellow brothers and sisters here on this earth. But but what is that purpose, and what are you seeing, and what do we need to know about what the devil desires and what he's trying to do? And that's actually a good place for us to take a break, so when we come back, Father will have the answer to that question. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Here's Pat Barrett with Build My Life. A prayer for the dead. God, our Father, your power brings us to birth. Your providence guides our lives and by your command we return to dust. Lord, those who die still live in your presence. Their lives change, but do not end. I pray and hope for my family, relatives, and friends, and for all the dead known to you alone. In company with Christ, who died and now lives, may they rejoice in your kingdom, where all our tears are wiped away. Unite us together again in one family to sing your praise forever and ever. Amen. We've been talking with Father Vincent Lampert this morning about spiritual temptation, oppression, demonic possession, and such things are all part of the conversation. Let's dive back in to our conversation. Father, you've seen firsthand when we ask that question, what is the purpose of the devil and what is his desire? You've seen him try, and, and the other demons trying to work that out among God's creatures known as man, you and I, and, and our fellow brothers and sisters here on this earth. But but what is that purpose, and what are you seeing, and what do we need to know about what the devil desires and what he's trying to do? Well, the devil desires our eternal damnation. He wants us to join him in complete alienation from God. And he does that in a very subtle way. Even St. Paul in Second Corinthians talks about how Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, and he deceives many people. There's a lot of people today that are being deceived by the devil, because they believe that all these things that have to do with the entertainment industry, again, you think of Halloween and tarot cards and pendulums and crystals and psychics and mediums and all that other stuff, the power behind that world of the occult is the power of the devil. And the devil oftentimes will try to market it as something as fun and entertaining, The people really need to realize the true power behind all of that. And again, it's the power of the devil, and it's the power that desires nothing more than our eternal destruction. And oftentimes the devil will present all of this stuff as something good. You know, the devil can play on our memory and imagination, but when we put all of this funk, if you will, into our minds, we're actually giving the devil fuel that he can use to really get a foothold in our lives and then to cause our lives to begin to spiral downwards out of control. 
I like to use the image of men. Uh, men, in particular, I think, struggle with lust. Um, not to say that women don't struggle with lust, but but men especially, we know that that's a particular vice that so many men fall into. And that idea of, well, you know, what's the harm in watching this movie? So it has one inappropriate scene in it. Um, but what you're saying is that by watching that one inappropriate scene, the, the devil can kind of push our memories and say, hey, you remember that time you watched that movie? Boy, wasn't that scene really great. Let's start thinking about that here, Adam. Let, let, let's start going back to that. And then before you know it, you're caught up in all these lustful thoughts because of a, a scene you watched in a movie maybe years ago. Yeah, because once we get, get it in our minds, we can't just turn it off. The devil's going to try to keep turning it on. Because then if we think about those things, it can cause a sense of guilt. And then we kind of, you know, want to shy away from God. You think of the fall of Adam and Eve. After they had sinned, they went and hid. God even moves to the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Obviously, God knew where Adam was, but he's looking for him to own up to his sin. But then what does Adam do? He says, well, the woman you placed here, she made me do it. Eve, what did you do? The serpent, it's always passing the buck and not taking any personal responsibility. I mean, we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. But the question is, do we try to justify our sin, or do we simply own it? And the danger with the devil is that he wants to objectify evil. He wants to take something that is bad and present it as something which is good. And I think, again, that's why people need to be very cautious about what is the devil's purpose, because he he will present it again as something desirable, But in the end, it only leads to our destruction. Now, Father, for many of us here in my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, we think of a film uh, from William Peter Blatty in 1971 titled The Exorcist because it has connections to, you know, the, the film is a sensationalized story somewhat based on a true story. But that true story has many parts that take place here in St. Louis and, and that's what we think of when you say, okay, well, Adam, what you and Father are talking about this morning, how many people do we know that really suffer from demonic possession? And I, I want to make this very clear for our listeners, I, and I'd like to ask you how, how we can make this very clear for our listeners, that yes, demonic possession is, is one of the dangers, one of the concerns when we talk about how the devil operates, um, but we're not just talking about demonic possession. It is all of these other things, as you said, these kind of the way he kind of pushes us with temptations left and right, that most of us in our encounters and our spiritual warfare with the devil, it's not going to necessarily be full-on possession so much as just a barrage of temptations day in and day out if we're not guarding ourselves and we're not going to the Father asking for protection and going to our guardian angels and asking for protection and and taking advantage of these prayer disciplines that the Church gives us and the sacraments that our Lord gives us to protect ourselves from these attacks. So what what are some of the tactics um, he uses when we're not talking so much about possession Um, that most people are going to face in their day-to-day life? You know, the Church identifies four different types of extraordinary demonic activity. So there is possession. We've been talking about that. There is demonic infestation, the presence of evil in a location or associated with an object. You know, this time of year around Halloween, a lot of people are fascinated by haunted houses and whatnot. You know, there's even, you know, cities in, in the United States that have ghost tours throughout the year. There is also demonic vexation, which are physical attacks 
and then demonic obsession, which are mental attacks. So all of that is the extraordinary. You know, demonic possession is real. It does happen, but not as common as people may think. Maybe one out of every 5,000 people who contact me. I currently receive about 3,500 requests a year from people who believe they're dealing with extraordinary demonic activity. So I probably see a higher volume of those cases. So some priests are publicly known and some are not. My bishop gave me permission to be publicly known just as a way to help educate people and evangelize and speak about the importance of faith. You know, as you suggest, as a Catholic, if we're going to Mass, if we're praying, reading the Bible, we're celebrating the sacramental life of the Church, if we're knowing and living our faith, the devil's already on the run. But there's a lot of people today that faith is in decline. One out of every five Americans now claims to be an atheist even if they grew up in a traditional Christian home. But there is something, too, called the ordinary activity of the devil, and that's how he tries to trip all of us up in our daily lives. And the main premise of the ordinary activity of the devil is temptation. And I say it's a four-stage plan of attack. It begins with deception, where the devil gets us to buy into his lies. And when we do, it leads to division. We find our lives broken. And then it leads to diversion because we realize our lives are broken, and then we look for something else to help put the pieces together. Obviously, we need to turn to God and repent, but people will look for a substitute for God. You know, it's a form of idolatry. You know, you mentioned how the sin of lust or pornography, some other type of addictive behavior that people may turn to. But then in the, with diversion, when we're not looking for God to put the pieces of our lives back together, the end result is that we arrive at discouragement. So again, the deception leads to division, which leads to diversion, which leads to discouragement. And when we arrive at discouragement, it's a crossroads. One pathway leads to death, always spiritual, the complete rejection of God, sometimes physical. Think of the growing trend of suicide in society today, whereby people reach the point where they believe there is no meaning, purpose, or direction in their life. But because we're Christians and we're always the people of hope, the other pathway leads to discipleship. We have a reawakening of our faith and the important role that God needs to play in our lives. So again, most of us don't have to worry about the extraordinary activity of the devil, but we do need to be concerned about the ordinary activity of the devil. That's where we're going to have to stop today with Father Lampert. He'll be back with us tomorrow morning here on the show. We are going to take another break. Here is We the Kingdom with Holy Water. A prayer for priests. Oh my God, help those priests who are faithful to remain faithful. To those who are falling, stretch forth your divine hand that they may grasp it as their support. In the great ocean of your mercy, lift those poor unfortunate ones who have fallen that being engulfed therein, they may receive the grace to return to your great loving heart. Amen. Precious blood of Jesus, protect them. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R-catholicradio.org. 
Well, we've just spent two weeks reflecting upon the mysteries of the rosary, but Patty told us that we are going to have a new theme this week that is not the rosary. Patty, what's in store? Well, this week, the reflections are going to be short and sweet because we are going to talk about tiny, tiny, and I mean tiny, prayer habits, the littlest of things that you can do. But it's about making use of the time that God gives us. So the first one today we're going to talk about is so basic, you're going to say, well, that's not even really an encouragement, but bear with me. It's the habit of grace before meals. Now, I know many of you, probably all of you who listen to Catholic Radio, you have been brought up and you have been saying the grace before meals your whole life. But here's the challenge. Do you say grace before meals at work? Do you say it in restaurants? Do you say it anywhere and everywhere in public? We all hopefully say grace before dinner every night around our dinner table. But I know it can be difficult or even awkward to say grace when you are at a business gathering or you're at someone else's home, you're at a party, or you're in the lunchroom at work. So I want to encourage you to say grace no matter where you are, even in a restaurant, even in someone else's home. Now, you can pause in silence. I mean, we don't have to make a big show. You can say your grace silently, but make the sign of the cross and bow your head and don't let a meal go by without thanking our Lord for the food that is set before you. Don't pass up the opportunity in public to give witness to the life of faith. We don't do it just because people are watching But on the other hand, go ahead and pray. And if people are watching, praise God. Patty, as you said that, I couldn't help but think when we go out to eat, we thank our server or we thank the person who brings our food. When we go to a friend's house, we thank them for the meal. So why would we thank all of those people and not thank God? Thank you for this encouragement and this challenge, tiny as it may be. It's a challenging one at times. Well, let's talk about the rest of the week here. We have some important things to attend to this week. Tomorrow, we are being asked to observe a day of prayer and fasting for peace in the Holy Land. Now, there are a lot of things that can be said, but I think the most important thing is that you and I have some very real work to do, and that is to pray and to fast. Now, some would say that, well, what does that, what does that accomplish? Well, at the end of the day, who's in control? As we've heard on the show time and time and time and time and time again, God is in charge. God is in control. And so if we don't go to him first. What, what are you and I actually able to do? You know, if, if, if we don't go to God first and say, all right, you are the one whose will needs to be done. Not, not my will be done, but your will be done. You are the one who created the universe out of nothing, not me. What am I going to accomplish without him? Nothing. So let's go to him first. Now, what does this look like for each of us? It's going to be a little bit different. Tomorrow, I'm going to do the show here in the morning, and then I've got to hit the road to head to a conference. And that means I'm probably not going to have an opportunity to visit an adoration chapel tomorrow. Maybe you will, and so I would encourage you, if you are able to visit an adoration chapel, make a holy hour of prayer uh, for peace, a prayer of reparation for the atrocities being committed against women and children and uh, just everything that's going on, make a holy hour. Spend some time with our Lord. Spend some time in 
deep prayer with him. Now, if you're like me and you're saying, Adam, I, I just that's not going to be a logistical possibility tomorrow. That's okay too. Pray the rosary. You know, I'm going to be in a car on a road trip. My wife is going to be with me. We can pray the rosary, not just one set of mysteries. We could pray all four sets. We're going to be in a car for eight hours. We're going to have the time. We can spend it in prayer. Now, as for fasting, well, what does that look like? It's one of those things that there are a lot of different answers out there. Now, some of us are able to take on more. Some of us are not. I know that there are those out there with medical conditions that you normally would preclude them from the obligation to fast. This is not obligatory, but it is encouraged. And so what does that look like? Well, let's just put it this way. For those who can do much, let's do much. You know, for those who aren't able to do a lot, do what you are able to do. You know, at a minimum, let's let's avoid snacks between meals tomorrow. Maybe let's eat simply tomorrow. But I, I'm going into it with the same approach I would have for Ash Wednesday. You know, let's make tomorrow a day of abstinence with our fasting. Fasting. You know, again, the call is for prayer and fasting. But I'm, you know, thinking I'm going to make tomorrow a day of abstinence. It's going to be a penance I'm going to take on, and then I'm going to go the route of two small meals and one regular sized meal. And uh, normally, I like to snack while I'm driving in a car. I, I don't know why. I just do. Well, tomorrow, no snacks while driving in the car for me. That's that's what I'm choosing. To adopt, I don't know. I've got to think about it. I, I'm looking at what exactly does that mean? What exactly is it going to mean for all of us involved in it? And uh, I encourage you, we've been saying it since last week, figure it out. Figure it out today so that you're not waking up in the morning and saying, all right, what am I going to do today? You know, that's, I, 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 I'm notorious for doing that. And I can tell you from experience that is too late. Don't be like me. Don't wait till it's too late. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Queen of the Rosary, Our Lady of Victory, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Father Vincent Lampert will be back on the show with us again tomorrow to continue our conversation on exorcism and oppression and possession and the ordinary temptations of the devil. And uh, most importantly, what we can do to avail ourselves of the protection that God offers. That's the most important part of this whole conversation. It's not so much about what the devil does, but it's about what we need to do to be protected from the devil. So tune in for that. And then the rest of the week, we're going to have Holy Mass for you. But tomorrow, I'll be on the air and then off to the conference. If you could pray for me and pray for those who will be in attendance and traveling across the country to get there, we would appreciate it. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to Roadmap to Heaven. And do not forget to pray your rosary today.